I'm Celine Williams, and welcome to the Leading Through Crisis podcast, a conversation series exploring resiliency and leadership in challenging times. My guest today is Elaine Bennett, whose name may sound familiar, but she is an award-winning speechwriter and definitely not the lady from Seinfeld whose last name was Bennis. This Elaine advises clients from Fortune 50 CEOs to entrepreneurs on their messaging and also creates and delivers trainings on how to improve the writing of everything from internal communications to speeches. Her own TEDx talk delivered in 2019 tackles the topic of how language can change the world. Welcome to the show, Elaine. Hi, Celine. Nice to be here. I'm very happy to have you here. I think that, first of all, I love that your intro in, involves uh, a Seinfeld reference. Very perfect for a speechwriter and for someone with the background you have. I'm excited to get into all of this. Um, I can't. I can't get away from it. You know, for the first <laughs> for the first three years that I was working on SEO, she had the top spot when you googled Elaine Bennett. Really, you would get Elaine Bennis. And I worked really hard and blogged every day. And finally, you Google Elaine Bennett and you get Elaine Bennett. So, well, first of all, that is a lot of commitment on your behalf, and I'm very impressed with it. And second of all, I I'm really genuinely surprised that she had the top spot when it's not actually her name. That's fascinating. Yes. Yes. Wow. Um. So the the way that I usually start this off is to ask the big broad question, which is when the name of the podcast is obviously leading through crisis. When you hear the phrase leading through crisis, what comes up for you? What does that mean to you? Well, you know, I think the first, the first thing is, you know, crisis, been through crisis in business, and we can talk about that. But, but leading through crisis, it sounds like it's got to be big. It sounds like it's got to be, be bold, you know, general Patton or, you know, and it doesn't have to be. It, it, as a matter of fact, if you're not general Patton and you try to be general Patton, everybody's going to know you're not authentic and nobody will listen to you. So the first thing to do is to stay within yourself, stay within your, your comfort zone, within who you are and find a story to tell that will engage people. Now, this is not my story. It's a story a client of mine told from his experience. He was, you know, growing up, his father would always joke, joke at him if it, they were out walking and it started to rain and he would, the client would run to get out of the rain. And the father's like, it's rain, is not gonna kill you. Uh, and so then he found himself in a literal rainstorm as an adult. He, had a, a, he was a, 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 an officer in the army and mm. he was in Afghanistan or Iraq. And he and his, his team were pinned down in a field waiting for the helicopters to come in and rescue them. And there were trees around that they knew that there were snipers in. And, and so he, what he did was, no, I don't think it was actually raining. This is a metaphor, Elaine. He stood in the field, he stood up and all of his men are lying down, you know, hunkering. 
And he just went, walked to each one and said, are you okay? Are you okay? And, and, and talked to them. But he felt like his, his presence being so obvious and not hiding and not afraid, even though of course he was afraid. Of course, you're always afraid. Of course. But, but because he did that, that was his way of leading. Was, and he called it standing in the rain, right? Yes. Because scary situation, don't run, show your people that they, they're going to be okay, even if you don't know they're going to be okay. I mean, he couldn't guarantee that none of the snipers would shoot. And you can't guarantee if you're in a business situation that everything's going to be okay. The business, you know, you could go out of business, something, something terrible could happen, you could lose your best producer, all sorts of things. But have have a larger sense that's those things are are small they're discrete events and you can get past them mm -hmm. your largest producer leaves you can find somebody else you can train somebody you probably already have somebody who's got the capability of doing the job your business goes out of business you know start over again mm -hmm. find find a way you can even you know bring your team somewhere else so so that's what leading, leading through crisis means to me. It means being a stable center mm. in, in the eye of the storm, whatever the storm is. I love that idea of a stable center. And, and you know, my personal lens is that I absolutely agree with you. Crisis sounds big and bold and scary. And the truth is that change is constant and there are no guarantees, right? This is the... Yep theme that I always come back to when I talk on this podcast, the poor podcast listeners, there are no guarantees, <laughs> right? Change, it, that's the, th change is always going to happen. So yes. being able to be that stable center to use your language inside of whatever is happening, that's the leading. That's what it doesn't, you don't have to be general patent to be leading. You, you having that state, you being, and you having that stable center, that's right. how we get through whatever is happening in terms right. of crisis or change. Yeah. And my client, he didn't stand up and make a speech. He made very small personal gestures to each person. Mm -hmm. And that was far more effective than any speech he could have given at that point. Um, so stay within yourself, be who you are, and don't think that you have to do something big, because especially if big things are happening around you, the small things are going to really help people feel stable and anchored. Absolutely. And in, in that example that you gave, which is a great example, I love that. The, the thing that really stands out to me is doing something that was a, if he'd stood up and, and given a speech, for example, that's actually more dangerous and makes the crisis worse. But by right. going person to person and by doing these small things, it has a bigger impact and it makes each person feel safe rather than exacerbating a situation. And that's a really important lesson to take away from something like that. It doesn't have to be this big, bold, attention getting, whatever the case may be situation. Right. There are right. other ways of doing it that might be more effective and he chose one of them. Yes, yes. Yeah, I love that. So I, I'm gonna, I do wanna ask this cause you did say you have crisis in business you can talk about. <laughs> 
So I'm, I'd like to circle back to that and ask for, you know, what did you mean by that? What's the, what, what did I mean by that? So way back in the, uh, at the end of the 20th century. Uh, <laughs> what a great turn of phrase. <laughs> in the early 1990s, I was working at Solomon Brothers and I was, it was my first speech writing job. I was the speech writer for the CEO of Solomon Brothers. And someone a couple floors down from me on the trading floor did something he really shouldn't have oughta. And Solomon was almost put out of business, like almost overnight. Oh, wow. And the reason we weren't was that our major share, our largest shareholder, said that he would come in and take over as interim CEO and he would clean the place up. And because he had an impeccable reputation, the, the Securities Exchange Commission said, okay, sure, go do that. So that was how I began uh, working with Warren Buffett. But so that crisis had a very big silver lining for me, but, but I was there through the, through the very tense days of, what's going to happen to us mm. and and i watched my boss who is the director of corporate communications you know and and warren also when he came in had some brilliant ideas about how not to spin this you can't i mean somebody in the company who has since been fired did something very very wrong you can't spin that yeah. Yes, we don't tolerate that behavior. Yes, this person is out on his rear. Now we have to move forward. And so, so cre recreating the company's reputation mm. as an ethical company was his primary, primary focus. And so, you know, he didn't go out and make fancy speeches and he didn't, you know, go on the talk show circuit or whatever whatever kinds of things companies do he just hunkered down and when it was time to release the findings of what the company had done again he was brilliant he didn't have a press conference it took out we took out full page ads in the new york times and the Wall Street Journal and I don't know, maybe the Washington Post, a couple of other places. And in, you know, very tiny type to get it all on the one page of newsprint that he released exactly what was going on and exactly what we were going to do about it. And so his message wasn't filtered through the news media. It was he got he got it out. And then if the media wanted to spin it some way, it was obvious that they were spinning. Because he had said exactly what he wanted to say. So the, the main thing for me that I remember of, of that period, that period of crisis just before Warren came in, when we were, when we were, we in corporate communications were learning the full extent of the wrongdoing that had taken place and how high up the chain it went. Mm. And we were devastated. And I still remember one of my colleagues and she was a, a, a media relations person. So she, you know, and she was sitting in the bullpen 
and she's got her feet up on the desk and her phone to her ear. And she's like, and, and the media is calling like, when are you going to release this? When are you going to release this? And she knew when we were going to release it. And it wasn't yet. She's like, hey, Raj, how are the kids? How are you doing? It's really nice to talk to you. And I was just completely blown away by her, her calm yeah. and her ability to, to stay to keep her personality in that situation and not clam up or, or, or shut up. And I, I developed such a respect for her in that situation. So that's another way of leading in a crisis is just do your, do your work and, and don't worry about it. Well, it, it kind of goes back to that adage that you can't, you know, there's only the only thing you can control in moments like that is yourself and your behavior. Yes. So doing your work yes. and showing up as yourself that you can do, you yep. can't, you don't know how someone else is going to react. You don't know what else is going to go wrong or what's going to go right. right. So what is in your control that you can do? And it sounds like that's what, that's what she leaned into in those moments, which is a great lesson yes. in terms of lead. And, and I also want to say, um, the, the, the story you told about Solomon Brothers, if that's what it's called, I'm terrible with names. Yes, yes. And yes. Um, Warren Buffett stepping in. It's really interesting because to me, I hear lessons on both the, when the crisis happened before he stepped in, lessons of, mm -hmm. of what was done right and what could have been done differently potentially and how it was handled. And also really great lessons from him in terms of, in order to, you know, I hear things like, so if we want to retain or ensure is a better word that that this is transparent and people see what we're doing, then we control the narrative by taking an ad out as opposed to going through the media, right? Yes. It's a slight shift in terms of how we quote lead through crisis, but it makes a big difference when we think about how do we retain the transparency? How do we ensure that this is transparent, right? It, you know, not you know, not spinning, not trying to, to manage along the way what the storyline is, which actually hands the control over to people and, you know, pulls you all and him and the company out of the story, but rather staying quiet. And then when you're ready, stepping into, that's a, it's a great example of yeah. instead of trying to, this is, you know, my two cents on this always is that people try to create certainty by managing a story or managing situations before they actually know anything or enough because it feels more certain to them, which is also always not true. It's not, it's not a real thing. It's not a real feeling. Um, and he was very comfortable with the uncertainty of it and saying, they're going to do what they're going to do. And, you know, clearly that worked for everyone in the organization as well. I'm sure there was discomfort, but it worked in terms of the outcome. So yeah. it's a great example of how there's on both sides of this, there's always lessons. Yeah. When yeah. You know, it's a, Warren showed up with a, a typed list of behaviors that he expected of people. And he had his secretary in Omaha type it up. And he came to New York and Xeroxed hundreds of copies of it and sent it to people to read. 
And if you look up the early stories about Warren coming to Solomon Brothers, I guarantee you that every one of them will mention that he had a typed list of behaviors that he wanted people to follow and, and everyone got one. And so for some reason, some executive decided that we needed a PR firm to come in and, and you know, make it all better. And uh, one day the PR people said to me, Elaine, why don't you take this list and, you know, make it pretty, you know, get it, get it typeset, whatever. And I said, well, you know what, hasn't every article mentioned that this list is, is typewritten? He said, yes. I said, don't you think that speaks, says something about Warren and how hands-on he is? And, you know, and he said, oh yeah, okay. Maybe we don't need you to do that. <laughs> So fascinating. So yeah. fascinating. So um, I'm going to step into the role of communications when it comes to facing uncertain times, leading through it, you know, being yep. that sort of grounded, that staying with yourself in those moments, because I think we often downplay this is going to sound so inane and I pre I'm going to call it out right now because we talk <laughs> about and I'm going to sit and tell you what we talk about communication all the time and how important it is. And then we downplay the actual role of communication when things go wrong, if that makes sense. Like it's like, of course, communication is important. But then when things happen, we downplay the actual role of communication. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Theoretically, this makes sense. But in practice, it's often overlooked or, you know, uh, thought of too late in the process of dealing with yeah. things. That's yep, yep, you know, yep. That's why I said this is right. Different. Yeah, the first person you call if you're the CEO whose company is in trouble is going to be your lawyer, not your communications director. Right. Um, and and you know that's not that's appropriate. You know, especially if there's legal liability, you've got to worry about. You're not worrying just about yourself, but about your hundreds of employees or however even ten employees. Uh, but I think. And I love lawyers. Some of my best friends are lawyers, but sometimes you you can focus too much on liability and not enough on believability mm -hmm. or relatability. Mm -hmm. So I would say the worst thing you can do in communicating in a crisis is well is lie, right? Um, the next worst thing you can do is lie, but try really hard to pretend you're not lying. <laughs> so, so that's where we get words like down, downsizing or no, right sizing. We're going to be right sizing our workforce. Well, you know, it's only right if I get to keep my job and somebody else loses theirs. It's right. not right if you're going to fire me. Um, if, you, if you're saying anything that your, your listeners, your audience is going to have to translate back into English, then you're doing it wrong. So you're not right-sizing. You are very sad to announce that we're going to have to lose some of our people. Perhaps 
you know, a small amount now will prevent a bigger loss later. And we're trying to work for everybody's best interest. And, you know, we appreciate their service and we'll help them move on. It's not the most fun thing to say, but it's way better than pretending that we're doing something right. We're right-sizing. Um, so, so speak English, don't make your employees or your audience have to translate what you're saying because that there's no way they can trust you if they, if they have to translate. I think that is applicable whether we're talking about a large organization, if you're talking about a solo entrepreneur who is talking to, you know, sharing information about their business or what's happening. It, it's so, it's so important and it's, people try to find the quote right thing to say to prevent something bad from happening or to prevent something from being misinterpreted. And inevitably that means that things are misinterpreted because it's no longer how people actually communicate. Yep. No yep. longer yep. the truth. You're now focused on what's going to sound, how do we avoid litigation or whatever the case may be? And it's, yeah. Yeah. we don't respond to that and we don't, relate to that and it's yeah. I, I do think and you know I'm based in Canada I do think that this is often worse in the U.S. because there is more room for litigation so it's more litigious mm -hmm. overall yeah and so we see it a lot more in all kind of sizes of organizations in the U.S. than we do in Canada or in parts of Europe but it is very consistently there's a filter that everything is run through before anyone speaks out. And that's really, yeah. it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's frustrating to have to deal with, I mean, again, I love the chief, chief legal officers. I love the general counsels that I've worked with. And, and I know that they have an important job to do, but, but you know, sometimes they can be a little trigger happy when it comes to certain words. Yeah. Um, I, I worked with a client who, who's one of the functions of their firm was accounting mm. and I was never allowed to use the word creative in relation to the work that they do because creative accounting is a euphemism for, you know, skirting the truth or the skirting the laws. Um, and you know, I get what he, I get where his sensitivity was, but you know, his other people could be creative. <laughs> <laughs> not break laws. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's interesting because if you use the word creative in ways where it's not the phrase creative accounting, <laughs> it doesn't right. mean right. the same thing. So it is that it becomes that black or white. We can't use it because this one phrase it's so right. yeah. people are so interesting with, with where, where and what they tolerate with things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, so I'm going to ask this question because I think the world of, you know, I'm going to share my opinion. I'm not saying yes. this is the only thing, but the world of communications is, um, in general, whether it's speech writing, whether it's big corporate communications, whether it's individual communications, because I know that you run the breadth of things, including you know, mm -hmm. TEDx solopreneurs and yeah, exactly. And, you know, helping people with TEDx talks or TED talks. Yep. yep. TED, let's not make it only the X. Um, 
So I know that you're involved in a lot of these things. And I think the, you know, ultimately the world, all of that is to engage people, tell a story, leave them with information in some way, whatever that looks like. That seems to be a lot of the thread through this. And I'm curious in, you know, in the work that you've done and you continue to do, what are some of the key, okay, it's gonna be a two part question. What are some of the key things that people are doing that are not serving them in terms of those sorts of goals? And also, what are some of the ways that people can do a better job of being more effective with communication that are just kind of quick and dirty and easy? Because um, I think a lot of us just don't know. We don't even know what yeah. we're doing wrong or what we can do right. You know, I think I can answer address both of those parts of your question with one story. Love it. So I was uh, at a conference and I'm sitting there at the opening plenary session and and there are five people going to speak from each of the five companies that have sponsored this conference. And so I'm like, all right. So person one gets up and he speaks and he says, well, I'm from this company and we we are really glad to be here because this is an issue that means a lot to us. Person number two says, I'm from this other company and we're really glad to be here because this is an issue that means a lot to us. And I'm like, oh no, person three, don't do it, don't do it. And of course he did, this means a lot to us. Finally, the last person who spoke told a story, a personal story. This. I'm really glad to be here on behalf of my company because this, this issue is personal to me because a family member, blah, 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 this is what happened. And that's why I am so grateful to work for a company who care, that cares about the community and cares about issues like this and wants to step up. And I hope you all have a great conference. I think I gave him a standing ovation. If you are if you're in a position where you get to speak on behalf of your company, first of all, find out what the event is like. If you're in that situation, one of five sponsors, you got to know that everybody's going to say the same thing if they're not if they haven't listened to this podcast. So um, so find or even if you're the only person speaking, from a company or a sponsor like that. Find something personal to relate to. Don't just make it be, hi, I'm here and I'm checking off the box to you know, make my boss know that I'm a team player, so have a nice conference. Nobody cares. And, and nobody, frankly, much cares that company A is sponsoring the, pod, the, the conference. What they really want to know is, why is this important to you? Mm-hmm. It's important enough for me to take three days out of my life to be here. And if you want to connect with me, if your company wants to connect with me, you got to tell me that it's important to you, too. So um, I think that addressed both, both parts of your question. It did. And it's it's... Uh, I, it kind of, to me, what I hear, one of the things that I hear, not the only thing, but is we remember stories and we connect through the stories. Yes. Yes. And 
the last person that went had a story, even if it was a short story, and it doesn't it doesn't feel like lip service. Listen, even if it is lip service, it doesn't feel like lip service when there's a story attached to it, when it's just, I'm really happy to be here because this matters to me. There's no there's no personal connection to what you're right. saying, and therefore your right. audience doesn't connect to what you're saying in all cases. And yes. it and it, you know, that that storytelling aspect of communicating in any way, shape, or form, I think cannot be overemphasized. Again, it's going to sound a little bit inane because I say that and I know 80% of people might be rolling their eyes and going, obviously storytelling matters, Celine, but how many people actually work it into their talks or their presentations or their trainings or their coaching or their whatever they're doing with other people? Very, very few people do. Yeah. And if it's a story that comes straight from your experience, Nobody else is going to tell the same story. Nobody's going to be able to tell the same story. When I was working on my TEDx um, speech that I gave, you can find it on my website. Uh, I thought about, so the, the theme of the conference was changing the paradigm. And I was like, okay, so what in my life has really changed the way I think about something? And I remembered a book I'd read literally 30 years ago about presidential speech writing. It was written by two women uh, academics whose name I will not be able to come up with right now, but it's in my, it's in my speech. Um, and there was something about that book. There was one thing that they did, one tiny little thing that stuck with me and that changed the way I thought about presidents from that day on. Interesting. And so I structured my speech around that one little thing. Now, lots of people have read this book. I, it, it actually was one of the best books in the category for a long time. And, but, but I don't think I've ever seen anybody talk about this one little aspect because it resonated for me. I was able to build a speech around it and tell a story. One of the things, you know, I, I have a program where I work with uh, people who want to give TEDx talks, and we help them, my, my business partner, Marie and Contrera, and I help them find their idea, hone their idea, learn how to book, get themselves booked. But one of the things in, in finding the idea is somebody will come and say, well, you know, I really want to talk about personal well-being. I'm like, great. Google TEDx talks about personal well-being. And you will find a thousand of them. So why should anybody have you talk about personal well-being? Well, for that, you have to dig down. Why is this important to you? What problem did it solve in your life? What, what crisis did it avert in your life? How, how does it affect you on a cellular level? Then, we, then you'll be able to tell a story that nobody else can tell and that other people can relate to. Mm -hmm. So yeah, stories. And if you talk about stories on every, po every podcast episode, you're probably still not talking about storytelling enough because it is, it is that important. It's the only thing that will separate you from someone else. And if you want people to remember you and your ideas, you have to 
phrase them, you have to deliver your ideas in a medium that people will take in. And that medium is story. Mm -hmm. I, yes, amen, all of that. Let's, you know, <laughs> bold, double click on it, whatever all the sayings are, I could not agree more. I, a few years ago, I put together a training for a company, um, went and recorded it and for, you know, whatever, yeah. wherever it was. And the person who was their head of training, who was collecting different people to do trainings on what they were specializing in, at the end of it was like, can I hire you to help the other people up their game when it comes to training? Because you're the only person who has told stories as part of the training, which is what she was like, I was engaged. The whole Normally I shut down for these. I was listen, I was like very structured in my approach because it was a long training and I was trying to make it simple, but it was like a, you know, whatever, whatever story, whatever, whatever, like very consistently. And I would just put stories in. She's like, it's no one else has done this. It was the simplest, smallest, and I'm not a great storyteller. This is not my thing. But even at that point, I was like, this is what people are going to remember. They're not going to remember what I'm talking about. Here's the three ways you control your emotions. They're going to remember it with the, they're going to remember the story you tell, whatever it is. So I say that because there's still, to your point, there's still not enough people doing it. There just aren't. And we cannot emphasize that enough. And you never know how you're going to connect or what's going to, what people are going to remember when you move stories and roll stories into everything that you do. Right. Um, there's a story I read in either Made to Stick, which is a great book by the Heath brothers, or in a book called Slideology, which is by a woman who focuses on presentations. And I can't remember her last name. Her first name is Nancy, but the book is called Slideology. And basically there was a company that had a conference and they hired someone to go to all of the sessions and uh, distill each session down to the, the main teachings yep. from each session. And so the writer did this and sent it back to the company and all of the people who had presented were furious because they had had all of these data points and slides with numbers and graphs and she ignored all of that and just wrote the stories that they told they're like but that's not the important part of our presentation yeah. we're scientists and she's like that is the important part of your presentation that's what people will take away yes a hundred percent that yeah um so before we wrap up, I always ask the question, is there anything we talked about stories? So, <laughs> just, you know, are there any stories I want to tell you? Well, I, I know I was going to say, is there anything that we didn't get to that you want to get to, or that you want to emphasize for the listeners before we wrap this up? And I, I was saying, we just talked about stories, which for me is always like, can we emphasize that enough? Cause I'm going to emphasize stories, but this is your podcast. Um, so is there anything that we didn't get to, or that you want to emphasize before we wrap this up? You know, I think that creativity gets short shrift in business communications. And that is, you know, that's one reason people don't tell stories too much because they don't want to be too creative. Uh, but it is what, what gets remembered. 
-hmm. So I, I always advise people to, um, to take five minutes a day or better 15 minutes a day to be creative. And whether that's writing something or doodling something or, you know, writing a silly poem, uh, you know, it's, it's really important to give your mind that space because in that space, you're, 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 you'll get ideas. The ideas, you, the ideas you need and the ideas you want do not come when you're hunkered down over the keyboard. And I was like, I've got to get an idea. They come when you're thinking about something else. Oh, that's the thing I need to say. So find, you know, we're all type A people, business, rah, 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 move, do it. Uh, but find, find some quiet, find, find five minutes where you can turn that part of your brain off and, and listen to the other part of your brain. I think that is fantastic advice for everyone. Um, I appreciate your time, Elaine. This was fascinating, really interesting and so many great takeaways for people. So thank you for sharing so openly. Um, and I look forward to seeing you again sometime soon. Well, that will be lovely. Thank you, Celine. Thanks for joining me today on the Leading Through Crisis podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a minute to rate and review us on your podcast app. If you're interested in learning more about any of our guests, you can find us online at www.leadingthroughcrisis.ca.